0: Hello and welcome to the Mindset and Self-Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan, and on this show, my guests and I unpack the stories that shape us and the lives that we lead on our path to self-mastery. So let's not wait any longer. Let the games begin. Hey, Lincoln, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing?
1: Very good. Great to see you.
0: Yeah, nice to see you too. I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for reaching out about the show. I was reading through your website and looking through some of the stuff that you've gotten into. And um, I think there's a lot that we're going to be able to get into. But without jumping into your story, why don't you give us a little bit of context? Who are you? What do you do? And maybe something that most people don't know about you. That's a little odd or bizarre.
1: Mm, Well, I think I, uh, you know, we all think we're sort of normal. And uh, over the course of our lives, we start to realize that's not entirely true. So I've started to realize, you know, a lot of the strange events that have happened to me are because I'm strange in other people's eyes. I continue to think myself normal. Um, I think the origin of my strangeness was my somewhat solitary childhood. I had a brother and sister, so I thought I was kind of average, but they were 10 and 12 years older than me. And my parents were also sort of over it. So they were sort of absent. Yeah, they were the opposite of helicopter. They were submarine parents. I I could never quite figure out where they were. And they didn't pay much attention to me. So I kind of wandered around. I wasn't quite, you know, the wild child living in the woods, but I kind of felt I might as well have been. And that made me a kind of odd person because I was always reaching out to people and not entirely going onto their wagon. So that meant that, uh, you know, as kids were socialized in school, so that didn't work very well. I was rebellious. And uh, I guess my family made me a kind of adult for my age. So I, um, you know, I didn't really connect with my age group. And of course I didn't entirely connect with adults either cause I wasn't one. And then, uh, you know, I got involved with mountaineering, which I really liked because it was a strange bunch of people going exciting places and doing crazy things that were very emotional, right? I mean, full of fear and, and, uh, exhilaration. And I did that for quite a while. And then I also wanted to be, uh, I has intellectual pretension, so I got a PhD in physics and that was interesting. Um, the whole PhD process is one of the few educational processes where you're asked to actually do something. You know, come up to meet the bar of accomplishment rather than just uh, fill in check boxes. And uh, that gets very complicated because there's all sorts of expectations and, you know, getting online with uh, what's going on, and uh, I still wasn't satisfied with um, what I knew, so I was involved with uh, travel and other cultures, and, uh, you know, here I am, like all of us, thinking that I'm normal, and that the world is strange, and I guess you have to say the world is normal, because that is the baseline, and I think i'm coming to understand that uh, i'm an emotional person which is odd for a physicist but then you know that's why i'm not a physicist anymore i'm a clinical counselor and a hypnotherapist and i do dream work and psychedelics uh therapy and dream work and psychedelics and i write a lot about uh, the subconscious and emotions because I have the intellect side covered. So most people don't know that I'm emotional because I'm so intellectual, I guess. Like I say, it all seems normal to me, but um, it's really valuable to be a therapist because you start to see what other people really think. You know, you you hear their story 10 times and then you start to wonder, how come they're telling me this for the 11th time? How come they're not doing something about it? And you sort of, at some point, you get down to it, you know, uh, in a way that you wouldn't get socially. Socially, you just hear their story over and over again. But as a therapist, you're allowed to pry. Um, But even when I do so, people think I'm intellectual. Uh, So part of my current efforts is to sort of come out of the closet, which is an interesting metaphor because of, uh, you know, the sort of gay, trans whole thing about closets and I'm not into, uh, the gender, um, fluidity of these days, because I think it's superficial. I'm into the, um, subconscious closet, not the gender closet. So, I'd like people to come out of their subconscious closet. I don't give a shit about their, uh, you know, sexual politics. That's incidental to me. Um, and, uh, and I think people hide behind their gender politics like they hide behind their other politics because it's uh, one step out from the social presentation. And okay, but I want more with people, and uh, so I'm trying to be more emotional. Anyway, that, does, that you know, uh, the question one thing people know about me. Well, one thing you should know about me is that very few people know anything about me. So there's not too much to answer. I I have like a circle of three friends and I see them rarely. And most people, um, you know, know me from my writings or, you know,
0: podcasts. Mm -hmm. So way to unleash a lot of things right there. Um, thank you for that. I think for the most part, um, it's interesting where you're saying, look, my my siblings were older and my parents were done like that. You were like they were just over it. And you know that Like it, I don't know if that hit you early on or like subconsciously you're like, they've checked the fuck out. They're done. Um, but to know that and understand that and look at things differently, you kind of took that character for your own. And you're like, this is who I'm going to be and started to kind of roll with it. It's even interesting that you bring up that people think themselves to be normal because, yeah, I think for the most part, you're right. I think a lot of people, like if you really talk to them, they're like, yeah, you know, I think I'm doing okay. I'm normal because it almost feels like they live at an average, like things aren't terrible. Things aren't super awesome. And most people just live at a kind of norm. And it seems like you're looking for a lot more than that and be able to have a lot more than that. Um, And a lot of people, I think, get really fucking afraid to be able to dive into that. So when you think of doing some of the deeper work, the subconscious work and, getting into those conversations how how do you see people actually going about that uh if they're if they're unsure of exactly what to move on first
1: uh, there's the i don't know exactly what the the right uh, aphorism is but there's sort of the metaphor of the moving train metaphor you know when you're sitting in a train and uh it starts to move slowly and you look out the window you're not sure if you're moving or what you're looking at is moving, especially if you're in a train yard and there are trains moving around you. And the feeling that first comes to you is that you're not moving and everything else is moving. And I think this is a metaphor for how people view the world. Our nervous systems try to root themselves in some sort of stability and see the world moving around us because it's more useful to know where you are than where you aren't. And that extends to the way we think. So, you know, most people come to me, uh, you know, and I'd say even socially, you know, to be a a friend is sort of to be a therapist a little bit. Um, And uh, even when you're just in social conversation, you're looking at people like wondering, you know, who they really are. And most people present their situation as them being rooted and situations moving around them. Um, So part of my background is in uh, neuro neurology, neurophysiology, neuropsychology, you know, the brain, how the brain works. And I think it was valuable that I spent a decade studying brain training which is to say cognitive training, using the brain and looking at brainwaves. And it's not a very popular or very deeply researched area, mostly because it's sort of too complicated. Uh, You can do it easily enough, but knowing what you're doing is hard. So what you see in that is very interesting because when you change a person's brainwaves, you almost always get them to tell you that something's happened in their world. They don't recognize it. A change in themselves so you know here's a simple example uh, a per- person comes to you and they're very kind of spaced out you know we, we recognize those people they seem kind of dazed like they smoke too much pot or something but for some people that's their normal state they're kind of a little slow on the uptake and they'll tell you stories about how things came down on them that they struggled to uh, get on with and and uh you get this picture that they're kind of chasing a after life, and then you can do brain training with them and you can speed up their attention and their reactiveness and they won't notice that they've changed they'll just say oh the world slowed down a little and now i can catch the ball better um well they won't even say that they'll say the ball was thrown more thrown more slowly they just people don't recognize our own change which on the flip side is it you don't recognize your own deficiency so the slow people don't recognize that they're slow partly because they wouldn't know otherwise and uh yeah and this also goes like why do older people think that time goes faster well you know time doesn't go faster it's just them that are going slower or it's their attention that is you know sort of clocking at a slower speed and um i'm spending a lot of effort in trying to tell people to pay attention to their process of paying attention. So what I'm talking about, you know, become aware of how you're aware. Not what you're aware of, but how you're aware. I mean, sometimes uh, it's very sketchy. You know, if you look at a clock and watch the second hand, you'll get a clear impression of how vague it is. You know, you can barely keep up in a regular attention with anything. Your attention always drifts and your mind drifts and thoughts come in and out. And if you were to try to be uh, regimented and focused and solitary in your attention, you can't do it. Um, But it's interesting, you can develop certain abilities. So if you're a musician, you can develop the ability to keep time. At the same time that you're being creative and whimsical and, uh, you know, flights of fancy. And uh, another thing that I've done, which is useful and, uh, well, you know, it's actually gotten popular. Slack rope walking. You, you attach a rope to two trees and then you make it taut and then you try to walk across it. That's not that much different than, you know, staying upright or walking on the sidewalk. Well, it's not it's not qualitatively different, it's quantitatively different. You have to be very focused on small movements at the same time that you have to be broadly aware of where the, the horizon is. So there are ways to develop other sensitivities to time and space uh, through music, through balance, through physical activity. Um, and it becomes important when you start going into your subconscious and your emotions and the way you think so if you still think that you're normal and it's the world that's weird you haven't really grasped the full range of what you can do it's very hard to appreciate your change of state of mind uh, which is why I work with dream work or, you know, the states of awareness and sleep and pre-sleep and post-sleep where your states of mind are a little more clearly changing. So I tell people, you know, focus on your issues before you fall asleep. And you'll notice how it's kind of difficult to uh, get things into focus as you're falling asleep because you're sort of losing uh attention and similarly when you're waking up give yourself time don't don't be thrown into your wakeful state you know give yourself time to be aware of your change of state and after a while you kind of wake up and you can feel yourself losing the images of your dreams if you've had them if you haven't had dreams you'll feel yourself losing your sort of dreamy state of mind and then try during the day while you're supposedly aware to regain those states, you know, to go back into a dreamy state of mind, daydream, and give yourself time to daydream. This is something I tell the people who have insomnia, which is a lot of people you might have listening to this who are, uh, high, who are high functioning people and uh, under pressure or stress, they tend to have insomnia because they hold on to that stress and they're not willing to let their problems rest for a while. And uh, I say to those people who wake up at night, well, you know, be more cognizant about focusing on your problems now that you've woken up and then admitting that you're going to stop focusing on them after a while. You know, you're not going to spend four hours fidgeting and tossing around. You know, you're going to spend 15 clear minutes, you know, up, aware and thinking about what's bothering you. And then maybe you'll get some ideas and you write them down and you are finished. And then you go back to sleep with the intention of letting it go. You know, be more intentional about how you're managing your focus. And so this is what I'm, God, I don't even remember where your question started. But, um, you know, something about focus. This is where I'm asking people to pay attention. And so there's... You know, there's focus in what you're focusing on. There's focus in how you focus. There's issues of how much emotion you allow to rise up. And, you know, who you're speaking from. Are you speaking from an impatient point of view? Are you speaking from a wistful or romantic, a sad, depressed or aggressive point of view? And realize that you have some control over this, or you should, um, but you don't want to be uh tyrannical about it in fact you can't be tyrannical because if you try to repress things in yourself you can't effectively you know they come back when you're not they sneak up on you
0: yeah there's more of them than there are you yeah yeah and it's interesting you bring up uh being aware of awareness and then everything else that goes around that even the activities of just taking that awareness of waking up in the morning, being aware that, hey, you're still kind of in that sleepy state or being aware of falling asleep. I find it interesting. There are times where um, I can sense that I'm about to fall asleep because I'm thinking weird shit. Like just a weird thing where I'm like, yeah, it totally makes sense that the elf is sitting over there. Cool. And it's not like I'm fucked up out of my mind and tripping. I'm just about to fall asleep. And when those things start to make sense and I'm like, no, that doesn't make uh you're about to go to sleep. All right, cool. Um, but being aware of that takes time to be aware of that. So if we look at the overall activity of being aware of things, it's interesting that I think a lot of people miss out on their morning or evening being aware of stuff that helps you throughout the day. Because when stuff's happening throughout the day, like your meetings to meetings, or you got to go pick people up, or you got to do this, got to do that, whatever the things are. We're just being reactive for the most part because things are coming at us. And if we're not prepped, or prepared to be able to do something with it. And we don't know how to be aware of that. And we're kind of just being reactive and shit's being thrown at us. So how do you walk people through that to be able to prep, to be aware of awareness, and then be able to actually have that superpower uh, instead of having to deal with the shit just being thrown at them?
1: Well, you have to have some time. You have to give yourself some space. If you load your plate with being reactive, you know, fire putting outing all the time, you won't have any chance to consider the world from anything but the point of view that's coming at you. Um, You know, so there's a time for that. You know, you are needed for certain things. And uh, okay, hopefully you're effective at it. Uh, Of course, if you're not effective at it, you should uh, deal with that. But in order to get a sense or a sort of a meta-sense of who you are and how you're being aware, you have to give yourself space to disengage from your perceptions. Perceptions being what you think is coming at you. And to, you know, see the elephant in the room. So uh, there are two ways I'd go about it. Uh, one is I, I ask people, if they can, to get in more involved with their dreams, which is a big, uh, a, a big nut to swallow. Uh, So people can get involved with their dreams in many regards. First of all, you might simply remember them. Even if you don't remember them, you might remember how they left you feeling. Um, And if, or to the extent which you have access to your nighttime dreams, um, I encourage people to start to understand them. And what you have to understand is that they are not narratives. People are always confused when they try to put them together in sequence and make sense of them they're not there to make sense and they're not there to be put into sequence there are a bunch of associations that are falling out of your head or rising up from below and it's your mind that makes the narrative you know the elephant that's in the taxi that is now in the clouds and you're trying to make sense of that but the point is in your reality there are things that feel like elephants there are things that feel like taxis and there are things that feel like clouds you don't have to put them together in any logical framework but you should start to realize or recognize the things in the real world that trigger those so what feels like the elephant and what feels like you know why does this fire feel like a fire why does this event that you have to intervene feel so critical what is it what is it pulling out of you that's causing you to be frantic or reactive and uh what if you just threw it back and said i don't care you know it's like homer simpson said it's not that i it's not that i don't understand you it's that i don't care about you um you know what what other you know we think that's funny because i could say oh well that's something a father would never say but uh you know half the time our minds are off somewhere else and we don't care 100 percent you know or we care in some other way like you know why are you bothering me and uh i wish i had some food or something um so so these associations are the things that i encourage people to pursue so they are distracting right they take you away from the thing that's right in front of you but they determine how you're going to think because where do your thoughts come from you're not really in control of where your thoughts come from You just respond to, you know, it's like an automatic baseball machine. They just, your thoughts are just thrown at you and you're trying to hit them. And you'd say, gee, it would be like, it would be nice if they were good pitches. I could, you know, knock them all, you know, into the outfield. But you don't really have control of the pitcher. The pitcher is your subconscious and it will throw you these curveballs that you miss. So the thing is, instead of paying attention to the balls, Pay attention to the picture. What are they trying to tell you with those strange balls that they're throwing at you? You know, so you stop and you say, well, maybe it's not about putting out this fire. Maybe it's about thinking that it's a fire or thinking that I'm me here and there. you know, uh, and the position I have put myself into, you know, wh- you know, uh, well, you know, the way I raise my kids, I guess, is sort of like the way I wish I was raised is like total freedom. I let them do whatever they want and when they get fucked up I say well look at it you know why are you upset and you know yeah and and it's a strange world because kids on the internet get thrown all kinds of crappy material like like uh I don't know everything from pornography to um you know things that are low value material marketing um And what I did, I'm trying to end this right here. What I did as a a kid was I watched television until I couldn't stand it anymore because my parents weren't there and neither were my siblings. And when I reached the point when I suddenly realized this is total crap, you know, 1950s reruns and game shows, I turned it off and I've never turned it on again. And I react to television like poison ivy. It's like I can't even be in the same room with the television. It just triggers me now because I spent you know endless years in this days this TV days which I can't get back you know you know, you know why can't I remember what I did between the ages of five and ten probably because I was watching television you know what a what a total waste there's like Librium or some sort of opium anyway so so like to get out of that head is important You know, and and we we think we're in that head for some stupid reason like necessity. And it's not, most of the time it's not necessity. It's just habit, addiction. I'm talking about addiction of thinking now, addiction addiction to your own ego.
0: Yeah, and your own ass kicking. I think certain people enjoy the beating they give themselves um, without having grace on themselves. Now it's interesting that you have moved into, throughout life, the brain and then sleep and how it all relates to each other, and when you walk people through um, getting into sleep, because it almost sounds like there's a couple major pieces to it. There's the pre-sleep, there's the actual sleep, REM, you know, et cetera, and then coming out of that, and like that whole that whole diagram. But as you talk to people about getting into sleep, and having their subconscious mind help them throughout sleep, what sort of tips would you give to somebody that wants to be able to start utilizing that as they, as they start to go to sleep to tap into that subconscious?
1: Um, I would say that, uh, emotions are key. People think that emotions are different than your intellect and that somehow your emotions, uh, you know, they're a different avenue, or they're a kind of a, a swamp. And I would say that's a misunderstanding. I say your emotions summarize your thoughts. Your emotions are all your conclusions without any of your reasons. So it's how you feel, and then you sort of struggle to justify it, but it doesn't really matter, because it doesn't matter how you justify your feelings, they're going to be there Anyway. And they were formed by your experiences and what you thought made sense. And then you're left with a sort of nuggets that are your emotions. So I would say your emotions are the key to understanding how you, where, where your thoughts come from. Your thoughts come from your emotions. They don't, they're not a template. They don't like stamp out your thoughts. Your emotions don't stamp out your thoughts, but they generate them in terms of how you pay attention. So, you know, you know, if you're, uh, if you're horny, then you will be attracted by whatever it is that uh, arouses you and you don't have to think about it. And if you're hungry, you know, food will arouse you. And if you're afraid, then fearful things will come to mind and your thoughts will follow along. So if you want to get a handle on your thoughts, go into your emotions and see what they are. Are you horny? Are you hungry? Are you needy? Are you fearful? Uh, and all the other things that you can think of. And so I would tell people, or I do tell people, but I don't tell everyone because you have to work with what people are ready to hear. You know, they're going to go in what direction they're headed, no matter what you tell them. Um, uh, so I would suggest to them that as they go to sleep, you know, as they're sort of going into the veil of uh, change, that they review their feelings and that uh, they try to call them up and be an ally to their feelings and stop being so dictatorial about saying, I'm going to think about this or I'm going, I mean, I should, I should talk. You know, I, I you know, I worry about money. I go to sleep. I say, I want money or I want success in this and that. And it's like, hmm. Well, what I really want is I want to feel good and I want to feel confident and secure. So, what I really should be doing is thinking about thoughts that either make me feel confident, good, and secure, or thoughts that don't. When I say thoughts, I really mean feelings, feelings that stimulate those kind of thoughts, so that I'm sort of in the right ballpark when I fall asleep. So that rather than, uh, you know. I want to be surfing the waves and not sort of playing in the puddles of my self-absorption because the waves of emotion are what's going to drive the dreams and i would like the dreams to be consonant with my deeper needs i think this is well it gets complicated why don't people remember dreams how much of a dream do you remember i mean you should know or people should know that they're dreaming about you know three hours a night and they're remembering God, 30 seconds of a dream if they're lucky. Maybe a few minutes. So a tremendous, even if you're good at dreaming, dream re- recollection, you're still missing 95% of them. So where are they going? You know, psychologists think, oh, or at least some psychologists think they're, they're incidental. They do nothing. And that's stupid because your brain, your brain doesn't waste all that you know, all that power for nothing. Most of your, your energy goes into your brain. It's something, you know, like 95% of your glucose or, energy creating molecules are spent in your brain. You're not going to spend that, you know, dreaming about useless things. Anyway, um, getting in touch with your feelings, thinking about your thinking process. Oh, you know, I wanted to say this, uh, just given your whole podcast orientation and the way psychology works. psychology mistakenly, in my view, separates therapy and coaching. And by saying therapy deals with your past, your trauma, and the issues that bother you, and coaching deals with your goals and your future, and your intentional actions, and I say, well, what a what a crock of shit, you know? What person lives two different lives? I mean, it would be, it would be Doctor, um, what's his name? You know, you know, um, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. That's right. Jekyll and Hyde. So, you know, we don't want to live like that. And that's a sick way to live. And and it's true. People come to me with that sickness. They either come to me thinking they need therapy or they come to me thinking they need coaching. And, you know, I would love to get that idea out of their head. But again, you got to work with what people, you know, You can't go at a right angle to their momentum. You have to sort of say, well, okay, what in your dreams of the future and you're dealing with your business environment calls up your personal trauma and, uh, you know, personality skills. And the other thing is when you're dealing, when I'm dealing, with uh, a person who's uh, trying to reframe their past, I'm always trying to get them to focus on the future. Like, what is, why is this relevant? What is the purpose of this trauma? What is the lesson you can take that's positive? Um, I mean, you mentioned that yourself have uh, some history of trauma, and uh, a lot of people with trauma, I and mean, we all have some trauma, some have big trauma, uh, struggle with what to do with it. You know, it's like PTSD in the sense it's uh, bothersome and seemingly unhelpful. And some people say, well, you got to go back and deal with it in detail. And I don't really think so. I think you just deal with it as it's useful. In fact, you don't even, the reason you don't remember it is because a lot of the memories are not in a position to be useful at this point. And maybe they will be, maybe they won't be. And you don't really care. I mean, you're moving forward. And you don't really want to go back to the horrors of the past unless that would empower you. I mean, sure, maybe you could find a, you know, great sword that would, you know, cut through all kinds of things in the future but and 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 there's the idea of gratitude and forgiveness where you know forgiveness is really not exonerating anybody it's just forgetting the whole fucking thing um so it's just not relevant anymore
0: coming to grips with it yeah (laughs) i mean in my
1: case my mother was sort of absent and i spent years and still spent time feeling rejected and neglected and part of my resolution is that i have to understand that she was just absent she just was absent it's not that she didn't pay attention to me it's that she she couldn't connect with the world period and i shouldn't get fucked up about that because like that's her problem and i can't fix it i was just you know there and i needed she couldn't give and i didn't understand cuz i thought i was normal right i thought this was a normal world this 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 bizarre cabinet of Dr. Caligari world of mine.
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting because you, uh, you kind of expect things as a kid where you, in some ways don't really have a right to expect things, but you expect that people are going to be a certain way because you see it outside of you. So if you grew up on a farm and your parents are nowhere to be around, then that's just how it was. And like, you never talked to anybody ever. That's just, it would have been okay. Or you wouldn't have been okay you would have turned it into whatever you're going to turn it into. I think sometimes we look around and go, well, that's weird. You guys have normal parents, or you guys do normal things, or, you know, like you're saying, looking at it, kind of the opposite of that. But it's all the awareness, right?
1: I was very much benefited in my childhood by observing other people's parents. That really started to show me that my world wasn't there wasn't really any normal, because, like you said, you, you you take your world for granted, and these other people's worlds, my friends, were not like mine, and uh, I didn't know of anybody at the time in my childhood whose parents I liked that much. Uh, uh, you know, they weren't. I couldn't see any model parents. There were no model families.
0: Yeah, they all got shit they got to deal with.
1: Yeah, the, the less you know about them, the better they seem. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Yeah, well, they all try to make it seem nice. But I don't know if I was more insightful or I just spent more time looking. But I found these people pretty pretty damn weird. And I'm not even talking about the adult side of it. Right? I'm just talking about, as adults, they were probably really fucked up. I mean, who knows? I didn't. I'm just talking about the way they dealt with their kids.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. If that's the only thing that you're seeing and now looking at it as an adult, you'd be like, shit, if you were doing that with kids, how the fuck were you with other humans and other people? Crazy. It's it's interesting having that perspective and looking at things and just kind of looking at it from a third party perspective or just being a human watcher and just enjoying the utter chaos that people bring upon themselves at times. Um, And learning from that and then being able to do something with it. So I appreciate that you're not only not only have you done something with it, but you've turned it into other things. You've turned it into passions that you have and some of the coaching or therapy that you do. I'm right there along with you. I think it's all the same thing. It's just whatever people want to title it that helps them sleep. That's fine. Um, It's about actually getting to the depths of stuff. So along those lines, what sort of advice would you give to somebody that's on their path towards self-mastery?
1: Well, I think you have to decide what you want to do. There's a certain amount of intention. There's a certain amount of branching into are you going to be a materialist and take care of your basic needs and make them primary? Or are you going to be an idealist and try to level up into a greater vision of what things could be and who you could be? And... Uh, you know, we live in a materialistic society and this separation of church and state is kind of a reflection on that. You know, state is practical, legal, uh, material, financial, and church is spiritual and creative, maybe. And, uh, you know, that's not what it's supposed to be, but people sort of fall along those lines. And I think you have to blur those lines because as as long as those lines are strong and definite, You'll have a hard time crossing them, and there's no reason they should be. I mean, as we talked about sleep, try to bring in the emotional content of your daily life and uh, sit with yourself. You know, that may mean set some time aside because your context of life has not given you one. If you're an executive, you probably don't have anything on your schedule that says uh, sit and meditate, you know, in isolation. But you, yeah, you should, and you know, I think that's why people keep the door closed, and they have secretaries to keep, you know, the the noise down. But still, you have to make the intention of uh, being open. So this is one thing I do as a hypnotherapist. I almost always take people into a space where they don't know what's going on. So you understand that's how done. You know, you get into kind of a drifty, dreamy space, and then you ask them to visualize stuff, and then you take them into a place where they can't see what's going on. You know, you fly up in the sky, you go down to a cave, you go underwater. Something that doesn't make sense. And I'll do that sort of intellectually, since I'm a physicist too, I can always sort of talk, you know, science bullshit until your head is confused. And that's a good place to be when you're trying to find some new creative idea. Because without confusion, there's no novelty, right? Everything is just uh, ordered like a Swiss watch. And uh, generally, you don't want to do that because, uh, I don't know, at least in our society, there's a dearth of creativity. So becoming more creative. How do you be more creative? Basically, by just giving your time to sort of fuck up and make mistakes and freely follow things that go nowhere. And, uh, you know, you're basically just feeding um, fertilizer to your mind without the expectation, you know, as they say, you know, a good gardener doesn't dig their vegetables up every half an hour to see how they're growing. So you have to let this stuff uh, marinate and ferment. Uh, So dreams do that. And the more you can get engaged with them and be resonance with them. So what I do is like, I try to continue into my day as much of the feelings as I wake up with. So if I wake up anxious or disquiet, I'll let that be in my day and try to figure out, well, why, why am I having a good day? Why am I having a bad day? Why is things bothering me? I don't really get answers to those. I just want to give space. So this, this, this mistake that we can figure shit out well, you can't figure shit out. You can only figure out very well-formed problems. That's what, you know, reason logic do. But the important problems, the ones that are transcendent, they're not well-formed. Maybe they'll never be tra- Maybe they can't even be transformed by their nature. So then you have to be that kind of person who's not well-formed to be on the same page. So I, I get a lot of traction. Once you get somebody to a point where they're thoroughly confused and they're out of their element then you can say what's the most valuable thing that's happening in your mind and heart now that you've disengaged from all your plans and strategies and problems and then find that personality and keep in touch with it so that it becomes your ally you know, and it's not connected to any of your solutions and problems and histories and traumas. It's transcended. It's a higher self, and if you're quiet and you're not your usual, you know, bull in the china shop, it will be present, or it can be present. So I think that answers your question, even though I don't remember the question exactly. Something about how you know to transcend.
0: Yeah, along those lines, uh, basically as people travel along their path uh, aiming towards self-mastery and ultimately discipline. So being able to use that is huge. And I think it also has the hint of what we were talking about earlier with the awareness and being aware of awareness. All of this doesn't matter if you're not aware of what's happening. If you have no idea what's going on, then none of it's going to actually matter because you can't do a fucking thing about it.
1: The last thing to be important is that being aware of awareness means you're not really aware. You're, you're wait, it, the language is screwed up here. You're aware of something that you can't pin down. It's a non-rational, non-reasonable, illogical form of awareness. It's a perceptive, receptive, and associative form of awareness. It doesn't have a goal, it doesn't have a conclusion, and it doesn't have a boundary. It feels lost, and that's where it, that's authentic. A lot of people don't like feeling that. I understand that, but that's the fertile territory.
0: Oh, what a beautiful way to end that, Lincoln. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I really appreciate the time, appreciate the insight and the wisdom. Um, tell us where can people find you and where can they connect with you? Please,
1: yes. I, I I'm publishing books. I need more subscribers to my free blog. Please subscribe to my free blog. It's at uh, my website, MindStrengthBalance. That's all one word, MindStrengthBalance.com. And uh, there should be plenty of buttons and links to subscribe. There's a free blog monthly uh, and so forth. Um, please subscribe and go visit that and uh, write me. And There's tons of writing and resources there. MindStrengthBalance.com.
0: Thanks. Perfect. Well, thank you. I've looked through the website. Everybody go check it out. Uh, and all that's going to be in the show notes, too. So again, thank you, Lincoln. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Nick. I really appreciate it. Another great conversation on today's episode of the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. So what did you think of the show today? I'd love to hear your thoughts. And Check out the Instagram or Facebook page to join the conversation. If you enjoyed the episode, please jump over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. It helps us be found and helps others be healed. If this episode opened your eyes, made you think, or smile at all, then I'm sure it'll do the same for your friends. Check out the show notes for more info from today's episode, and check out other episodes on the TheMindsetAndSelfMasteryShow.com, as well as our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and look up The Mindset and Self Mastery Show. Thanks again to our incredible guests for being real, honest, and vulnerable with us today. But I'd like to thank our sponsors. And most importantly, I'd like to thank you. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Your support means the world to us. And with that, remember, your mindset matters, and so do you.